Every year, we dedicate one month to highlight the ways God has used the faithfulness of our church family to demonstrate God's faithful love to people in our community and around the world. Hundreds of millions of adults and children around the world suffer from not having enough food or not having enough healthy foods in their diet. This can negatively impact people's overall health, but in children, the impact of this can be particularly harsh. It can stunt their physical growth rate as well as hinder their educational, cognitive, and psychosocial development. Through our partnership with Kids Around the World, we have been able to help pack over a million meals that have gone on to help thousands of families provide not only food for their children, but help provide a more nutrient-rich diet that helps set children up for a better future. But the provision of the meals does not occur in a silo. They are given out through local partner churches who are reaching out to the children of their community through kids' story clubs, which means that not only are parents seeing the love of Jesus through the provision of a nutritious meal for their child, but they are hearing about the love of Jesus as well. The churches and the communities are incredibly grateful for these meals. In one of the rural communities, a group of young children were shown a video of the meal packing event, and they were shocked when they realized that these meals were not packed by a machine in a factory, but instead were hand-packed by children and adults alike who wanted to care for complete strangers around the world. And the children communicated that this made them feel even more loved. Your faithful generosity has made this possible. You can participate in practical love by giving of your time and resources. Our goal this year is to pack 100,000 meals. To learn more about the projects we've supported in the past and how to sign up for the meal packing event, go to rollinghills.org love. How is God calling you to show faithfulness through practical love? Good morning, my name is Zach. I am the pastor of Community and Global Outreach here. And I just, I don't know if it, if you guys caught that, but I just want to kind of point out something. I was reaching out to some of the folks that kids around the world. I was like, so hey, how many meals have we packed in total here over the years? And when they said it was over a million meals, I was just blown away. But it's like, that's really been a large part of your guys' faithfulness over the last eight, 10 years of doing these meal packing events that we've been able to help prepare over a million meals to help care for people around the world and help show the love of Jesus. So I just, I want to encourage you guys, like that's what we get to be a part of. That's what we get to continue being a part of uh, in a couple of weeks. Now, I, I think uh, Tyler mentioned in the loop, you can sign up at rollinghills.org love, and you can sign up for the meal packing event. I do want to say that you guys are kind of surprising me this year in a good way, um, in the sense that uh, normally, like two weeks out, we don't have a lot of people registered, but I think we've got like 30% registered so far, so we're doing pretty good. So if you're interested, you can sign up. Uh, it's a family-friendly event. I will kind of point out that the kindergarten through fifth graders here, they're bringing them downstairs to serve. So if you have kids and you're wanting them to do it, they are doing it if they're in the kindergarten through fifth grade. So you don't necessarily need to sign them up, but if you wanna join them, sign up yourself and register that way. But yeah, so if you guys wanna do it, we'd love to have you guys come join us. It's a lot of fun. As you saw in the video, it's just downstairs in the building. You may not recognize it because it's normally pickleball courts, but that's where we're gonna be having it. Um, with that said, uh, Bill and Mark and Ron, would you guys come up? Thank you, Zach. Yeah, if you haven't done that, make sure you sign up for that. That's a really uh, fun thing to do as a faith family. And uh, I think we'll probably do at least 100,000, I think, is typically the goal um, this year. Okay, 
We want to take some time to do something really important as a faith family and just let you know of some things that are happening in two people's lives that, oh, this oh, is not going to go well. Uh, uh, in the, I think it was in October, we had a uh, RH Family Update event Sunday afternoon. And for those of you who were at that, Rhonda kind of shared with you um, kind of how God's been leading her for a while and it was finally going to happen and she was going to start a new season um, of life. And so go ahead and, and why don't okay. you catch people up on that. So um, Mark and I started coming to Rolling Hills 30 years ago. Um, and our daughters were one and two years old. And I um, didn't imagine that I would work at a church. This just wasn't something, I was a teacher by trade. And so um, three, two years, three years into it, I realized I probably need to have a part-time job and started working here in the nursery. And I did that for a few years. Then I came on as women's pastor, did that for a short amount of time, 21 years, um, which is really, really, it was, it was a blast. I had a great time. And I thought my time was done, actually. And I let Bill and the elders know that I was ready to retire. And, um, but I, it, in, a, in a Bible study that I was doing called Experiencing God, I felt God saying, I have something more for you. It's not gonna be with women's, but I have something more. So stay open to what I'm doing. And um, I ran into Bill and he said, that retirement thing, are you sure? Because I feel like there's something more. So he asked if I would stay on and begin training our staff and lay people on um, empowering them into leadership and developing lay people to do ministry. Um, and thus creating a partnership with both staff and, uh, and, and attendees or, or members, basically becoming an owner, not a fan, right? So um, I said yes, because I knew I was already prepared and I did three years of leadership development, but this last year I said to Bill, okay, definitely I'm done now, ready to be a part-timer. And um, at the same time, our good friends, Jeff and Tara Matson, who own, uh, who are the founders of Living Wholehearted, um, invited me onto their team. And so they have a counseling arm of the team. I'm not a counselor, but they have a coaching arm. And so I uh, basically do leadership development, organizational development, coaching. I do sabbatical training, and I have a real heart for spiritual formation. And so I often take that into my coaching. So I'm doing that for them. And uh, it's, it's really fun work. It really is taking what I've learned here and uh, continuing it on. So that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Awesome. And I'm a grandma. Yeah. And that had a lot to do with it. Yeah, a lot to yeah. do with it. Yeah. So um, anyway, we're excited about that. We were had you scheduled to be up here and share this journey so we can celebrate Rhonda. We had that scheduled and this ice thing happened in January. Uh, remember that Sunday? And so it got canceled and moved to today. Well, since then, um, we've learned more that God was doing. And so, uh, Mark, why don't you share that? Well, uh, August of the pandemic, uh, our daughter and son-in-law, Josh, uh, they cruelly took our grandsons down to Arizona for a permanent move. <laughs> and we had always done life with them. Uh, they were part of the faith family here and we loved being with our grandsons and investing our life in them. Well, we decided we're gonna do the next best thing because we had no desire to go to the, uh, the oppressive heat of Arizona. So we went visiting a lot. And um, then they did the unmentionable and had a baby while they were down there in 2022. 
Then it was a much harder uh, adjustment, knowing that uh, we were missing this little, little one growing to the point that we knew was coming. And so a year ago when we were at Disneyland with the family, we realized that we did not want to miss out on his life anymore. And so um, we started praying that God would lead us to be closer to them. We didn't know how that was going to be. We didn't know what it would look like. But um, when we would go to visit, we loved the church that they attended and, you know, loved to go to their faith family. And uh, that was always something that was a high priority whenever we would visit. Well, in, in November, their care pastor uh, stepped down and retired after 26 years being there uh, on staff at that church at Compass Christian Church in Chandler. And my daughter said, oh, you got to apply. I said, well, you know, I don't know. We'll try. Well, God opened the doors. And a week and a half ago, I got invited to be the care pastor starting in April at Compass Christian Church. Yeah. And we, we knew it was a God thing. The timing and everything was a God thing. The hardest part is knowing that we spent 30 years and you are our faith family. And it's hard to leave a faith family knowing that, um, you know, our kids grew up here. They became strong followers of Jesus here. They, they loved many of the youth that I got to work with in my early years here. And yet we know that um, as God was leading us, that um, we wanted to go someplace where the mission matched. And that's what we found uh, at the church we're going to. A church that you feel like Rolling Hills was planted down in, uh, in Arizona. And it's such a great uh, feeling to know that we're gonna be going to a place where we can invest after investing here that we hope to invest for decades to come too, even though I'm much older now. <laughs> so we're uh, gonna be here another few more weeks and then we head down uh, in mid-March and uh, we're looking forward to saying goodbye during that time and we're kind of getting ready to live out of boxes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so um, I know this is news to most of you, and uh, we want to uh, invite you to a reception we're going to have right out in the East Atrium afterwards to make sure you get a chance um, just to express your love on these two. Um, lot, your hands have been in a lot of ministries over the years here, and your impact has continued to grow and grow and grow, and so we are who we are. Yeah, Rhonda and I have this thing. Um, yeah, uh, but your, your DNA is all over the family of Rolling Hills. And so we thank you so much for that. We just love you guys so much. But mm -hmm. okay, now Mark's crying. Okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, when Mark a couple weeks ago was just sharing, you know, this, this journey they've been on, you know, we all did this, we all cried. Mm -hmm. But it was uh, tears of joy just seeing how God's hand has been on this. 
and uh, so we are so excited for you. So we want to pray for them, a prayer of blessing. Make sure you talk to them after the gathering and, and greet them at the, at the reception. We're going to have our uh, chair of our, lay, our, of our elder team uh, lead us in prayer. And if, if you'd be willing to, just reach out your hand of blessing on them as we pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you, Father, with hearts full of gratitude and thankfulness for Rhonda and Mark, for their lives and how they invested their lives into this church uh, family. Father, um, there is great joy if we look back on 30 years of ministry and the thousands, probably tens of thousands of lives that they have touched in a positive way. It drew people closer to you because of their ministry here in this church, in this faith family. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for all that you've done through them, in and through them, Father. As uh, Pastor Bill said, we are today who we are in large part because of these two people. Father God, and so um, we will miss them terribly, but there is joy because um, these people are yours, and we want to commission them as they move to Arizona, we want to pray your um, hand of blessing over them. Father, we know that you will continue to use them for your kingdom wherever they go. And so we pray that you will go before them. Father, we pray your hand of blessing over the entire move and all the details involved in that. Uh, we know that you're going to be with them, Father, and uh, be with their family. Uh, watch over Lexi, who stays behind. Mm -hmm. Father, we pray that you uh, be close to her and have your hand of blessing over her. And Father, we, re we rejoice with um, Josh and Jalyn and their three children as, uh, as Grandma and Grandpa are coming uh, mm -hmm. so close by. Father, we thank you. We are so grateful. We praise you. You deserve all our praise. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Uh -huh. Yeah, remember afterwards, yeah, if you, have, uh, if you have children, go get your children first, then come and say... Uh, well, just give your love to, to the vegans. Um, and I'm thinking maybe this time next year we all take a road trip uh, and go visit. Uh, they have a pool and they say they will heat it in the wintertime. So uh, maybe the only ones in Arizona who will heat their pool in the wintertime. But uh, uh, anyway, love them so much and uh, am really excited about this opportunity and the new season ahead of them. Um, couple things I wanted to remind you of is you saw the baptism announcement that Tyler gave. And so that is two weeks from today is the baptism class. And so sometimes that, you know, comes and goes and you think, oh, I should have done it. Um, if, if you are a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized yet, go to that class and learn about what that is and why we do it. And, uh, and then we're going to have a great time Easter for a lot of different reasons. Number one, we're celebrating our Savior. But... Um, we also get to celebrate his work in people's lives, and so we'll be enjoying uh, those, those baptisms as a family. Um, if you haven't been here for the month of July, or month of July, oh, thinking of Arizona and sunshine and warmth, um, uh, for the month of February, we, we've been letting you know that this year with Practical Love, we're doing a little, little bit different. We're not only... Uh, highlighting the projects that we normally uh, do during this month and say, okay, we'd like to step into these opportunities. If, if, um, 
if we have the resources to do them and remember what God's done in different opportunities we did last year because of practical love. But um, we, we, had a, we had an unusually surprising December regarding giving. And, and December's usually a big giving month and it, and it was, it was um, shockingly low for us. And so one of the things as we enter into practical love, we're just letting you know as a faith family that um, you know, our relationship with these ministry partners are due to the fact that our regular giving supports our um, initial partnership with them and, and, and the year-long things that are happening. And then Practical Love supports those extra projects that we get to do. And so this year, as we, um, as we come out of December not as in good shape as we typically are, uh, we need to focus on really uh, growing our regular giving so that the ongoing support of these ministries and so many others can continue. And so we're asking you to pray about being a part of that and uh, stepping into that. And you're saying, okay, Bill, you said that last week and the week before, but I figure if I do it four times in a row, I'm going to hit about 80% of rolling hills uh, because, you know, you know life and you're not here every week. And uh, so that's why I'm repeating it. So thank you for your patience. Um, but we're asking people to be praying and just seeking God about, okay, is this something that you can step in during this season um, in the life of Rolling Hills? Now, we also wanna uh, let you know two things. I have two opportunities for you. Number one is if this, this is a new thing for you, you know, generosity and giving and man, you didn't grow up in the church and, uh, it's something you want to grow in, but man, seriously, how does that happen with my financial commitments? And, and uh, well, one thing that we know God wants us to be as good stewards of the resources he's given us. And that, that means, you know, having a good spending plan that, that lines up to the goals that we have. And sometimes people have never been coached up in how to do that. And if that's you, man, we love, we have people here who have helped a lot of people in developing spending plans that would reflect their goals and what they want to, where they want to go and be. And that means, you know, dealing with things like debt and savings and, and those type of things. How does it practically happen? Um, so if you would like, if you would like help in that, um, let us know. We have people who are great at it, who have helped a lot of other people and would be willing to sit down and, and help you as well. So just, you know, on a card in front of you there, you can just, Give us your contact information and, you know, like to talk to somebody about spending plan. And uh, on the way out, there are a couple of boxes. You can just drop that card in the box and we'll get a hold of you um, this week. Um, also, because believe it or not, if, if this is the first month you've been at Rolling Hills, you said, you know, Bill, you talk about money every week. And that is not normal. I normally do not do that. I, I rarely talk about money, but there's so much in the Bible teaching us about money and how to have a proper perspective and how to use it. And God gives us a lot of information about it. So I'm thinking about putting together a, a short three to five minute videos tackling one aspect of God's thoughts regarding money, savings, debt, generosity, um, and all of that. And so Here's what you can do for me. If you have a specific question that you would like me to address in one of those videos, um, write it down and drop it in those boxes as well. 
and, um, and I'll address those in one of those videos. And then we'll just make them available online. You can pick and choose. And here's one dealing with this or that. And hopefully in a really brief um, summary, you'll get some, what God teaches us from the Bible about those areas. So that would be uh, my request to you. Thank you for those who have already responded. We're starting to see an impact of your generosity um, on our regular giving. So thank you for that. And for those who have been seeking God, um, you know, we're kind of getting to the point here where if you feel like God's been leading you, then we ask you, um, whatever that is, we trust God's leading in your life. And we just ask you to, to respond to what, he, what he's saying. So, okay, that's enough of that. But um, I will mention it again next week so you know, and then February's over and you can count your blessings because the next week I won't talk about it. Um, but I do want to keep you up to date on how we're doing. So at least we'll follow up um, probably towards the end of March um, with letting you know how we're doing. All right, we've been going through a book of the Bible every week during this month. And today we're going to do the book of Ezra. Ezra, it's a short book, 10 chapters um, in the Old Testament. And um, we start out with Jonah. Jonah was... Uh, a little bit earlier from the other ones that we're dealing with. But then we got into Esther last week, and then Ezra today and Nehemiah next week. Ezra and Nehemiah originally were actually one book of the Bible um, written by two different people. And so um, we're going to chronologically go along with it. But we're going to put up a, some dates for you. If, if those of you who like history and, and want to know where these things fit, um, here's some dates for you, and I'll quickly talk through uh, children of Israel released from bondage in Egypt and there was an exodus and the book of Exodus is about that and uh, Moses leads them away from Egypt towards the promised land gets them to the promised land then Joshua is the leader who takes them into the promised land they occupied the promised land after you know generations because it was promised to Abraham um, the, their father so now Abraham's descendants finally possess the promised land. There are 12 tribes in which they possess the land. Um, they have King Saul, and then they followed by King David, followed by King Solomon. After King Solomon, there's division in the land, and there's actually a civil war, basically, where the land divides into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom has 10 tribes. The southern kingdom has two tribes. Northern kingdom's called Israel. Southern kingdom's called Judah, all right? So uh, eventually the northern kingdom, which really leaves God quickly, and does not follow God, does not follow what God says that they are to be as a people, and God allows them to be basically punished for that by Assyria, the kingdom of Assyria, which is a world empire, comes down and defeats the northern kingdom, okay? And so those people are taking off into exile. Assyria is, is eventually overthrown by a kingdom called the Babylonians, all right? The Babylonians then come down and start attacking the southern kingdom of Judah. And uh, King Nebuchadnezzar is their king, and he basically defeats uh, the southern kingdom of Judah. And in 605 BC is when they kind of take charge, and Judah is living under their rule, and they um, take uh, some of the people of Judah into exile back 
into Babylonia. Those two tribes in, southern, in the southern kingdom are Judah and Benjamin, all right? The king at the time of Judah was a man named Jehoiakim. And then in, in 597, uh, Judah rises up and rebels against um, their overseeing empire, which is Babylon, and, and rebels against them, and Babylon crushes them again, and the king at the time, or the person placed in, in in leadership in Judah was a, a man named Jehoiakim, okay? So Jehoiakim was the first guy that got defeated. Jehoiakim, so uh, Jehoiakim was the first guy. Jehoiachin was the second guy. And, uh, and again, they take uh, the mighty men of Judah away, the, you know, the soldiers, the, the guys that can fight, and they want to incorporate them into the Babylonian Empire, and they also take all the craftsmen um, with them uh, in, into exile. Then the final straw was when uh, Zedekiah was king, and uh, again they rebelled against Babylonian rule, and they, um, uh, they made a stand against them. King Nebuchadnezzar laid siege on the city of Jerusalem, and finally um, just crushed them. But in so doing, he knocked down all the walls of the city. He destroyed the temple in the city and then took um, all the able-bodied people off into exile and left you know, the sickly and the poor behind uh, to, to live in Judah. And so that's the three dates that you see as far as the exiles. So now an interesting thing to know is there was a change in philosophy regarding conquering nations. Babylon had a, a philosophy of when we conquer a people in a nation, we are taking those people um, away into exile and we are repopulating that land with other peoples we have conquered. But we're taking a few from this nation, a few from this nation, a few from this nation, and we're putting them all into that land to repopulate it, knowing that they have different culture, different belief, different ethnicities, and they are probably not going to be able to unite and become a strong power against us. And so we'll keep them weak, and that's one of the ways that we're gonna do it. Persia, when they came into power, had a totally different perspective. And their thought was, um, we're gonna be benevolent. We're gonna allow the people to stay in their defeated land, to keep their economy strong, and, um, and to let them know that we are giving you this blessing so that we're actually gonna start building a relationship with us and so that they will not rebel against us. And so that was the Persians' perspective. Babylon eventually was defeated by Persia, by the Medo-Persian Empire. Um, and so the king, in starting Ezra, the book of Ezra, uh, the king of Persia, a man named Cyrus, starts out this, this book by saying, uh, we need to let the Jews who are living in our empire go back to Judah in, in Israel if they want to. And so we need to allow them to do it. So he allows the Jewish people to do that. In chapter two, you see that a lot of them don't go. Most of them don't go. About 50,000 decide to return. First seven chapters of Ezra, the main, um, the main character, the leader of that return, his name is Zerubbabel. 
The last three chapters, there's another return, and his name is Ezra, who, li- who leads that return. There's actually a third return, and that is the book of Nehemiah, and that's led by Nehemiah. Okay, so there's three returns from exile. Some people call it the second exodus. You know, the first exodus being um, the children of Israel freedom from Egypt, um, going back to the promise or going to the promised land. The second one being coming back to the promised land out of exile. All right. So I just dumped a lot of info, but you know, you historians out there, you're going, oh yeah, tell me more. Well, I'm not going to because we got to get moving here. Okay. So um, another fact: First and Second Chronicles. If you look at Second Chronicles, the last couple of verses of Second Chronicles, they're the same as the first couple of verses of the book of Ezra. And so Ezra is just continuing the story after Second Chronicles, okay? Many people believe that Ezra actually wrote um, Chronicles, all right? And so now we're beginning at, um, at Ezra where they began returning to the promised land and, uh, and Zerubbabel is leading the charge and they're going, oh my gosh, we have a chance even under foreign rule to return home where we were a people of God. And now we get to go back and begin together to worship our God as God's people. And so it was an incredible opportunity that some of them were thankful for. Chapter three, verse one. When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in the towns. The people gathered as one man in Jerusalem. So here they are. They've made the trip. They are back and they're getting settled. And now they gather in Jerusalem. I'm sure they're gathering around where the temple used to be, the ruins of it still there. And they're saying, this is where we worship God together. You know, for now over 50 years since the last exile, We haven't had a chance to worship God where he told us to worship and in the way he told us to worship. And so they gather together. And verse two, then arose Joshua, the son of Jozadak, with his fellow priests and Zerubbabel. And he's kind of the main leader here in the first part of Ezra, the son of Shealtiel with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it as is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So why did they do burnt offerings to God? Because he said, um, you need to repent from your sin, which stands between you and I, and I will forgive you, but it requires a blood sacrifice so that you realize your sin costs. It's, you you know, sin's not cheap. It's an offense to a holy God. But you do this practice to remember that your sin costs, but I also stand ready to forgive you. And since the exile happened, they have not had the chance to do that. And so now in this moment, as a people, even though they're a remnant, they're gathered together and they're saying, we are the people of God. We get to gather together and worship God again that hasn't been done in 50 to 70 years. And it's a huge moment, 
a huge moment of gathering of, of, of thankfulness and seeing the goodness of God. And then they followed that um, shortly by, by doing the Feast of the Tabernacles and, and begin to do the calendar year of recognizing and worshiping uh, God together as his people together. And so then what happens? Opposition. And so here, here's a, this is, shouldn't be a shocker to us, even though today we, we are shocked when things don't go well, when we think, okay, here's the plan that God has for us, and then there's obstacles in the way, and we think, oh, this couldn't be right. How come there's obstacles? And really, the plan of God for our lives, he tells us, is there will be obstacles. There will be op opposition. Why? Because I want to grow you up to be more and more a reflection of who I am and who my character. And in sweet times, that happens less and more slowly than when you face opposition. Opposition's coming. It, it's, it's coming. Get used to it, but enjoy the journey because I'm going to grow you up in the process. And so opposition's coming. So expect opposition to worshiping and following God together. They were, they were joined together. They were having an unbelievable time of recognizing we are stepping into, to, while we're still under the authority of another kingdom, God in his providential control is allowing us to get reconnected together to our God. I mean, what a sweet thing. And where does the opposition come from? First from within. First from within. And that's not a shocker. You know, we all have different opinions. We all have different experiences. We all have different things like, like, oh, you know, this is what God did in my life. And so the way God works in anyone's life is the way he worked in my life. And so I'm really not going to rejoice in God working in somebody else's life if he does it in a different way because I'm not really sure if that's authentic. And, you know, instantly we get messed up in our thinking. We, we miss opportunities to see God at work and to recognize the goodness of God. And what... What happened? Ezra 3.12, but many of the priests and Levites and heads of father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, the first temple, they, they remembered back in the day as a child, I remember seeing the gloriousness of that first temple, the temple of Solomon. It's unbelievable. And now I'm seeing we're laying the foundation of rebuilding the temple and I can tell already it's not gonna be the same. And so while they're making sacrifices to God and they're praising God for his incredible goodness, there's also some who are, are shouting, but not shouts of joy. They're wailing and crying over the disappointment of this new temple and what it will be. And you think, well, that's silly. Well, it's like, that's us. I mean, this is my experience. This is how things should be. This is how I like things to be done. This is how God moving should look. And then when God does something different than that, we go, oh, I don't know if I'm buying in. That, that's not my experience. And, and it robs us. It robs us of the joy of seeing God at work. And, and sometimes there's, you know, if, if you're like me, the thing that robs me is I, see still, I still see problems that need to be overcome. And so when I see God working, it's like, oh, that, okay, that's cool. What, what that really means to me is I don't have to worry about that part because I gotta worry about these parts. And that is so dumb, and I've repented for this, and I'm learning to do better with this, but God is at work. 
He's at work in you and around you, and do you have eyes to see it? And when you see it, it should knock us to our knees in thankfulness for the goodness of God. And yet we can be so wrapped up in the past or other things that we do not take a second and take a breath in just taking his goodness. And that's what was happening here. That they were, oh, that's not how he worked in the past. And so that they weren't embracing it, even though right in front of them, they were returning to Judah, returning to the Temple Mount. They were making sacrifices again to God so that they can worship him together. And it was missing them because they were going, this isn't exactly how it used to be. I mean, how stupid. And yet I just think I am so stupid because I can get caught up with thoughts like that. This week, um, I, got a, I got an email and uh, it was showing the ministry of kids around the world. That's one of our partners, we love them. It's amazing how God's working with them and through them. One of the, you know, they do the, the, the meal preparation and work with churches all over the world in impoverished areas or in um, crisis areas. And they work with those churches to provide the meals, the meals that we'll be packing here in a couple of weeks. So cool. But another arm of their ministry is working to develop followers of Jesus as um, ministers to children all over the world. And that arm is ran by a man named Gary Strudler, who many of you know, who used to be for years our children's pastor here at Rolling Hills, who God opened some door in his life, just like he did the Beagans, to engage in a different way and use who he has to who he is to um, expand his influence as a as a person who loves kids and wants them to know Jesus. So this video was of Gary in Africa this week, and in front of him and surrounding him were hundreds and hundreds of children, and he was storing um, Bible stories to them. Kind of like I'm storing Ezra, he was doing a much better job and in a way that the kids were just into it. And then he was teaching them songs to worship God. And hundreds of children were, are, were fully, wholeheartedly engaged in worshiping God. And it was unbelievable. And, and I love Gary. He's a good friend. And I've, I've ministered shoulder to shoulder alongside with him for years. And I am thrilled to see how God's at work. But if I look at that and go, man, that's unbelievable. But then I think, oh, but how did it happen in Acts chapter two? You know, Pentecost, when the church was birthed and wow, well, they started speaking in tongues. They started hearing people um, in their own languages, even though they'd never been taught that language, and Gary's got an interpreter. Gary's speaking to these kids, but he's speaking through an interpreter. Well, this isn't anything like Pentecost chapter two. And you know, in Pentecost chapter two, it says the Holy Spirit came along people, um, down on people. One of the ways they knew it is because they saw tongues of fire. Don't know exactly what that is, but it, it was some kind of thing that they saw visually God doing. And I'm looking in the video, and I'm not seeing that. And so, you know, what Gary's doing there, that's kind of cute, but, you know, really, it's really not God at work, because it's not like Acts chapter 2. Now, how dumb is that? You know, how, how dumb is it to say, hey, well, when I was a kid, it used to be this way, or my experience, it used to be this way, and so even though there's miracles happening in front of us, 
we're not seeing it the same way. And so we're, we're not embracing it as what it actually is, is the supernatural work of God in people's lives. And that's what was happening right here. And that's what we do not want to do. In fact, um, Zechariah, who was a prophet, says, don't despise the way of new beginnings. It's like this was a new work of God. God will use all kinds of methods, all kinds of strategies to, to meet the moment in order to capture hearts for himself. And we get connected to a method or a strategy, a way of doing something that we think is inspired. And no, it's, it's just what God used. It was just a tool. And so we need to see God at work and embrace it, man. And God is good and he's good today. And he's good in this faith family, changing lives. And he's using this faith family to impact lives all over the world. And I say, praise God, let's go. And we just can't get caught up with, well, you know, the church I grew up with, this is the way it worked. It's like, praise God. I don't want to take anything away from it. But God uses, works different ways, and we, and we can't get caught up with that stuff. We have to get caught up with, man, are you seeing God work? Man, isn't it incredible? And are you taking the time to praise him for it? And that's what their first opposition. Their second opposition came from without. And um, in chapter 4, uh, People saw, people who were already living there, sees the exiles coming in, and it's like, okay, that's kind of threatening. They're kind of taking over. What are they going to do here? Well, remember, the people who were living there were either, they either had Jewish background or they were brought in from all kinds of different nations. And so the Jews that were originally there have probably married into other families other, um, and other faiths. And so the people there, they might say, oh, I remember I remember the temple, or I remember stories about worshiping God on this place, but now we worship all kinds of gods. And so can we just add yours to our list? And, and Zerubbabel says, no, um, because there's actually, we believe there's actually only one God, and we serve that one God. And what did that cause? Well, that caused division, that caused conflicts. They're going, oh, so you think you're better than us? So you think our, our you know, worship isn't, um, is foolish? So you think, you're, you know, what makes you guys so great and not us? And there becomes this division. And they're saying, no, no. I mean, you, we'd love to talk to you about our journey and what we understand, but we're not going to incorporate what you're doing. And that caused division. They were so mad about it, they ended up writing letters back to the king of Persia, saying, hey, these exiles that are coming here, you know, they're rebuilding Jerusalem, and they're going to get strong, and they're going to get powerful, and they're not going to, you know, they're not like us. They're not going to pay you taxes. They're not going to honor you, and you need to shut them down. And so the king in Persia says, okay, you're right. This isn't, uh, if, if what you're saying is true, then I'm going to put a cease and desist on this. And that's what he did. He said, you exiles who returned, you are no longer allowed to keep building. You, you're not allowed to continue building the temple. And there was a 16-year hiatus. For 16 years, those exiles who had come back to, be, to regather as God's faith family and to worship God together, for 16 years, they lost, they lost their way. 
And so between chapter um, 4 and chapter 5, there was 16 years. And then God sends them two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. Two prophets you read in the Old Testament. When were they prophesying? Right during this. And so what they had to say was addressing God's people at this time. Haggai chapter 1 verse 4 says this. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house, the temple, God's house, lies in ruins? And what he said is, hey, you've gotten your eye off the ball. For 16 years, you have lost sight of who you are and who you are to serve. And for 16 years, you've been serving yourself. You've been building your house, your little kingdom. You've become convinced that your life is all about your life. And we hear that and think, oh, well, it is, isn't it? Because this is a message that really speaks into how we can get sucked in to the culture around us. And one of the values that we have as a culture is radical individualism, where, where nothing is more important than my um, freedom and my rights, and we need to protect them at all costs. And I need to determine within myself what is true, what is right, what is honorable. And God says, that's a lie. Because you need to listen to me. I made you. And truth is found in me, not in you. And you guys have forgotten that. And you've forgotten the fact that you were made to be in a relationship with me. And I have placed you into a community of people who trust in me for you to grow together and honor me. And now you're just a bunch of individuals building your own little kingdom and your own um, lifestyle that you want to do. And you're finding success in that. And, and that's great. But it has taken you away from me. You need to wake up and be my people. And that was what Haggai and Zechariah told him. And, um, and Zerubbabel was first up in saying, I've sinned. I've messed up. I've got my eye off of God, my maker, and why we came back here in the first place. And, and he confesses and he begins um, saying, hey, anybody with me? We're going to start rebuilding. And he starts rebuilding. And the opposition continued. And eventually the king of Persia said, okay, the Jews are saying that they had permission from a king, a decree to go and do this. And so he has them start looking through the archives and he ends up finding King Cyrus's original decree. And he tells the people in Jerusalem that aren't part of the exiles, back off, let them build. This has been a decree of a king. And they continue to do so. They continue to face opposition from other ways, um, but they get it done. And they, they complete the temple in 515 BC, 21 years after they began building the temple, even though there was a 16-year hiatus in the midst of it. Okay, So that takes us to the end of chapter 6. Between chapter 6 and the first verse of chapter 7 is 60 years. All right. So you, in your Bibles, you have them open. Chapter 6. At the very last book, put 60 years till 7-1. You know what happened in those 60 years? The book of Esther. The book that we just went through last week and we talked through. Esther with, with Xerxes and Esther and Mordecai. 
that book happened between chapter six of Ezra and chapter seven of Ezra, all right? So now chapter seven starts out and there's a man named Ezra. He, he's a priest and he's a scribe. He loves the Torah, the five books of the Old Testament written by Moses and he copies them meticulously and he teaches them and his heart is to go back to Jerusalem and to teach the exiles and remind them of the good word of God, the truth that comes from God about who they are, how they got there and where we're going and how we can be a community together that is dedicated to living and honoring God. And so Ezra goes to the king, a king named Artaxerxes, okay? Son of Xerxes, stepson of Esther. Ezra goes to him and says, hey, I want to go back. I want to bring the word of God, the Torah with me, and I want to make sure that they remember God's word. And so he says, go for it. In fact, not only go for it, but I'm going to give you a bunch of supplies and resources in order to make this a successful journey. So he sends them off and he goes. And um, when Ezra gets there, remember 60 years later after the temple was built, He's bummed. He's looking around and he's looking at his fellow brothers and sisters who are supposed to be followers of God and he doesn't recognize them. You've lost your way. Over this time, you've become complacent and you have not been a community to follow God together. And, um, and he's broken. And so the first thing he does is he repents, even though he hasn't been part of it, but he sees what's going on. And he goes, this is not honoring to you, God. And as a faith family, um, I need to go before you and tell you, I see this and I'm ashamed. And so in chapter nine, verse six, he says, saying, oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you. My God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. Then jump down to 15. O Lord, the God of Israel, you are just for we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt for none can stand before you because of this. In he is repenting, but he's not repenting just himself. Why? Because he has a perspective that God says, you are now part of my people. And in the New Testament, the church does not replace um, the people of Israel. The church does not replace the children of Abraham. But the church, church is dealt with in the New Testament the same, in a similar way that God is dealing with the children of Israel in that he says, you are now part of my family. And you are, you are part of something that is bigger than yourself. And so you need to start thinking, my journey with God is one that can only be what God wants it to be when it's with a community of followers of Jesus because God's gonna use them in my life and God's gonna use me in their life. And so Ezra says, we, our, and he's saying, hey, we are a community of God that has lost its way and now he repents and then he starts teaching them, hey guys, we need to repent all of us need to repent because we have not been following God. 
And you know, one of the ways we've done it is we have uh, taking, taken spouses who believe in things different and, and believe in other gods. And they have drawn us away from believing the one true God. And we need to repent of that. And they listened to the word of God and they repented. They repented. So here's, here's a final thought. Um, we are best when we move together in humility, fully relying on God's guidance and grace. Why did they repent? Because humbly they knew, man, we have blown it. You know, on our own, um, we can't assume that our hearts are going to tell us what's right. The Bible says our hearts can be deceiving, even to ourselves. So where do we find truth? We find truth outside of ourselves. With the God who established what truth is. And so, God, we come to you humble and weak, knowing if it wasn't for you, we would be lost. And so they repent. But then you know what they do next? They do something that I, that I can do very easily. I say, God, I agree with you about, the, about what I did there and there and there and that it was so wrong. Now, here's what I think I should do going forward. It's like instantly, I'm repenting for not listening to you, but I'm telling you what I think I should be doing going forward. That, that is not staying in a humble place dependent upon the grace of God and relying upon him. But I should be saying, I repent of not listening to you. And now, God, I want to listen to you about what is the next right thing to do. And so I stay humble and I stay reliant. But you know what they did? They said, you're right. We shouldn't have done this. We shouldn't have married all these people who believe in different gods and take us away from believing in you. So here's what we're going to do, God. We're divorcing all of them. We're divorcing them. And this will probably make you really happy. We think it's going to make you happy. Malachi was a prophet during that time. And you could read Malachi and listen to what Malachi thought of what they did. He said, you should be pure hearted towards God. You should be listening to God and together following what God says is right. And God says he hates divorce. And so you're, you're repenting on the one hand and then you're saying, but now here I think it's the way that we're going to correct it. And you're going to do something that God doesn't want you to do in order to correct your past sin. It's like this, this, this is, is anybody else saying this is kind of a crazy maker? And so he's saying, guys, you need God and you need to humbly repent. But after you repent, you need God and you need to humbly rely on his guidance. That's how God built us to thrive and to thrive together is to humbly know that not compared to my neighbors, not compared to my cousins. You know, it's not how smart am I compared to other people? How wise am I compared to other people? How discerning am I about what's right and what's wrong compared to other people? It's about how wise am I compared to God? How wise am I and smart am I compared to God? How discerning am I regarding what's right compared to God? And then I realized I need God. I need to humbly go before him in my weakness 
and say, I want to follow you. I want to rely on you. I want to listen to you. And so many times I just think, okay, God, I think I'm at the right place. Okay, I'll take it from here. And immediately at the wrong place. I mean, we, we, we can be, we can think we're humble, but when we're acting that way, we are arrogant because we are taking the place of God in our lives. And that's not okay. Ezra t- teaches us that the providential hand of God is powerful and he even works within kingdoms that don't know him to bring about good in his redemptive plan. And he's saying, my redemptive plan is all about weakness. You recognizing your need for me and then even recognizing your hope is God becoming flesh and not becoming flesh and in, in wielding a sword of power, but becoming flesh. And instead of having a sword in his hands, he has nails in his hands. And saying, I love you so much. I come and identify with you by becoming one of you and sacrificing my life for you. And in my weakness, you have the opportunity to be made strong. And that is Ezra to us. God is our hope. He is our power. He is at work. He is doing good all the time. Do you have eyes to see it? And do you recognize that he has asked you to be part of a community that together you humbly and weakly come before God in reliance to him and say, lead me, God, I'll follow you. That's the book of Ezra for us today. Let's uh, bow our heads. Father, we, we repent. I, I just admit how, how easy it is for me to get wrapped up with my life and what I think and thinking that I have the wisdom to know what I should do um, where uh, it's just kind of skipping over. God, God, I, I need your wisdom. What is right in this moment? How do I honor you? And am I aware of your working in me and around me? And I, am I just adding to my thankfulness for you. God, you are a good, good God. You corrected those people by Ezra bringing truth, your truth to them. And your son Jesus says, I am the word, I am truth. And so we thank you that the ultimate Ezra being a scribe and a, and a teacher is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And we just lay our lives before you, knowing that we were made for you, by you, and you can teach us what human thriving looks like. So we lay that down at your feet. And it's in your son's name we pray, amen.